You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. We have often been told that an emotional investment is not a wise investment. In actuality, emotions can play an important role in investing, but the key is knowing which ones to listen to and which ones to ignore. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Shirley Muller, board-certified neurologist and psychiatrist. After retiring from medicine, she worked in the investment industry and then founded MyMoneyMD.com. MyMoneyMD is designed to provide investment education to physicians. Welcome to the show, Dr. Muller. Thank you, Dr. Kaskill. How does emotion relate to our investing decisions? The human brain is designed to find and obtain rewards. And what better reward could there be than investing money to make more money? This very thought provokes anticipation of a reward. In fact, two investigators, Kunin and Knudsen from Stanford University, confirmed this using functional MRI imaging. They found that their subject's nucleus accumbens, the pleasure center located deep in the brain, was stimulated when they expected a financial return. It lit up like a Christmas tree, the same as it does when food, sex, or addicting drugs are the pleasures that provide the reward. In other words, the anticipation of money works in our brain like other satisfaction. It gooses our enjoyment center. Dopamine is released. This is a chemical that kindles a feeling of contentment. It's interesting that the same part of the brain is stimulated by anticipating a financial windfall as it is from doing cocaine or other drugs. When you were in practice, I mean, did you see any patients that were addicted to trading? I was a neurologist, and I I must admit I saw mostly headache patients and dizzy patients. That wasn't really one of the complaints that I did hear, but I did talk with my psychiatrist friends quite a bit, and it was something that they dealt with, particularly in New York City. In fact, at this time, there are psychologists, psychiatrists who specialize in this area, dealing with traders who are having difficulty. Dr. Muller, if the anticipation of a a monetary reward gives us joy, what happens when the opposite occurs and we foresee a loss looming? You hit the nail on the head. An important question for investors is how long to hold an investment after buying it. This issue is more easily answered on the upside than the down. A lot of people like to uh, hold on to it as it goes into the ground. They buy what's called a round-trip ticket. Right. Two researchers, Kahneman and Tripsky, call this loss aversion. And it refers to the concept that people are more sensitive to the possibility of losses than to the possibility of gains of an equal magnitude. The areas in the brain responsible for loss aversion are multifold and include the amygdala, the anterior insula, and the medial prefrontal cortex. Let's talk a little bit about these losing investments. What do people do when they have a selected investment and it's a loser? Why Why do they hold on so long? If the chosen investment loses value when others we didn't select are going up, we do something pretty routinely that doesn't work to our financial benefit, and we do it for emotional reasons. Because we hate to admit our failure, we keep hoping the losing investment will go up. Therefore, we hold on to it longer than we should. This provides hope and delays the pain of accepting our loss. Finally, we have to acknowledge our lack of success. Of course, this is a monetary defeat, and it causes a drag on our portfolio. This is important because a 50% decrease in the price of an asset doesn't mean we have to regain 50% for it to come back to some zero. Instead, the fallen investment actually has to double come back to its previous value. Right. So if a stock I'm holding goes from 10 to 5 and I want it to get back to its 10, it really has to go up 100%, not just 
50%. And, and that, I think that's a mistake a lot of people make, including doctors. I'm curious, you know, when we talk about admitting our failures, why not just put in stop gaps so that if something goes down 10%, we're out, so we don't have to hold on to it forever? That is a recommended strategy. And I personally think it's a good one. I don't know how many doctors use it because I'm not sure they know about it. I have talked with a lot of physicians about investing, and I can't think of one single physician I've talked with that is aware of this strategy. They probably shouldn't be dabbling in the market if they're not aware of that. Dr. Muller, tell me about what you call the double whammy. Well, the double whammy has to do with not only losing money on an investment, but also letting it go down to the bottom. And training can help make us better at picking out winning investments, but we'll never have a crystal ball and we'll always make error. But the only mistake that we can consistently correct is to stop our losing investments at a certain point. You suggested 10%. I think that's a good point. 15% would be another. But this is the wisdom of recognizing the part emotion plays in our investing patterns once we realize what we're doing and why, we're likely to be better investors because we can train ourselves to enhance positive emotional tendencies and curve unfavorable ones, such as not having the stopgap. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking today with Dr. Shirley Muller, founder and CEO of MyMoneyMD.com. Dr. Muller, any other factors out there that kind of have to do with emotion and the brain and, and making money in the market? Absolutely. Though the nucleus accumbens, our pleasure center, is the gas pedal for our financial decision-making, our amygdala, also deep in the brain, is the break. And it adds a dose of caution to the monetary decision. If the amygdala response is exaggerated, the emotion is fear. And just like a frightened driver can cause his car to slow down or come to a full stop because he is afraid, a scared investor might make his investing decision more conservative. i got to jump in here because I'm thinking about the two things that drive the market. I've always heard are greed and fear, and now you're telling me that there's actually a biological makeup for that, which is the nucleus accumbens and the amygdala, which is fascinating. Correct. The amygdala is our fear area, and it's very primitive. So in terms of fear, an investor might invest more in bonds than he really should to make money in the market. He may barely keep up with inflation if he has too many bonds in his portfolio and he's, you know, under 60, for example. So if I have a, a bunch of friends who are scaredy cats in the market and are fearful and all they do is, let's say, just have all their money in CDs, I can say, you've got a very large amygdala. Is there a test out there? You mentioned in another show about MRIs lighting up like Christmas trees for the nucleus accumbens. Does the amygdala light up in any sort of, if you put someone in a scared situation, will their amygdala light up on a scan? Right. If you show them fearful faces, their amygdala will light up. There have been financial studies also that I can't cite now that show amygdalas lighting up under certain financial fearful situations. So, yes, people who, for example, went through the depression are more likely to exhibit an amygdala response when they invest in, in the stock market because they have fear of losing their money. So let's say a widow, 60 years old, is in all bonds. And I know this to be the fact. I know a bond trader in my city, Indianapolis, who does nothing but sell bonds to little old ladies, as he calls them. These ladies would be better served by being in 20% stocks as well as 80% bonds because that's actually a safer portfolio than all bonds. 
because bonds and stocks go up and down, not together, but, but separately. So when stocks are up, generally bonds are down and vice versa. So a portfolio of 20% stocks, 80% bonds is safer and will provide a better return. And the little ladies, because of lack of knowledge, are hurting themselves. And it isn't always in the stockbroker's best interest to inform little old ladies of this. If they're bond traders, obviously they make more money by trading a total portfolio of bonds. So sometimes I think the little old ladies aren't making the money that they could. Right, but at least they're not losing it. At least there's not a trader taking advantage of them too much. Right. They're not losing it in uh, absolute numbers, but if inflation goes up a lot, they still could be not keeping up with inflation optimally. Dr. Muller, talk to me a little bit more about how deep fear can run. Give me, give me perhaps a famous example. I'd love to. Lyndon Baines Johnson is a wonderful example of this. When he was 36th president of the United States between 1963 and 1969, his attitude toward spending money would occasionally suggest that he felt he had no money at all. One time during this period, he asked a photographer to take pictures free of charge. Johnson said he couldn't afford them. He referred to being as poor as a church mouse. On another occasion, a White House staffer reported that LBJ washed out styrofoam cups in the Oval Office so they could be recycled. This was in spite of the fact that the people of the United States would clearly pay for more beverage containers so their leader could feel more comfortable using them. But LBJ was intermittently acting like he and the government didn't have any money. In fact, spoke against this. The Johnsons were worth millions of dollars because of Lady Bird's stake in profitable radio and television stations, and America was solvent financially. So he married well. <laughs> right. And I think he had to transfer some assets, too, that they had purchased together when he became president. But President Johnson surely recognized that he had wealth because he was a smart man. And he also must have known that the President of the United States is expected to present an impressive and successful image to the public. But in spite of this, he occasionally acted as though he and the nation were poverty-stricken. And apparently, this had to do with his childhood, because he said of his upbringing, poverty was so common that we didn't know it had a name. And he was referring to his hometown in Texas. This home that he lived in in Texas lacked electricity and indoor plumbing and other amenities as well. And evidently, these deficits affected him the rest of his life. So at the moment, Johnson exhibited his backward-looking apprehension about money. He was apparently influenced by emotions that were trickling to the surface, even though they had been deeply buried most of the time, this fear emotion about not having money. Now, the point here is that we are not different when we make investing decisions. Our past is affecting our future, and we need to understand why and how in order to be more effective investors. We're almost about out of time. I was wondering if you could kind of leave us on what you think is the most important issue regarding emotion that we should consider when we make our investment decisions? I think the most important is to realize that our pleasure center is strong and leads us toward optimism about an investment. Now, this anticipation of getting a reward will be attenuated by our fear center and by other centers in the, in the brain, and we need to pay attention to both of them. We need to pay attention to our wish for the reward and we need to pay attention to the downside of the reward, whether it be fear or disgust. We need to pay attention to fear, which is, leads to caution. So we can't just let our pleasure center always go where we want it to go. We know that or we'd be exhibiting behavior that would not be socially acceptable. 
And we also have to take into consideration those same factors when we invest in the market. Dr. Muller, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show. And I'd like to give you time now just to give your own uh, website a plug, if you'd like. MyMoneyMD.com. I meant to educate investors in a simplified way, meant to make the complicated easier to understand. And the three factors that are most important that I think investors need to know, other than how their emotions affect their investing, is that expenses in the market are not just paying a manager, but also the trading costs and the tax implications. And all three need to be appreciated before an investor can really make an informed decision, plus his emotional outlook at the time. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.